Welcome to The Strategist, episode 1273. I'm your host, Annalise Klingbeil, and with you, as always, Corey Hogan, letting us know he's here, and Zane Belgi. We did it. We did it, Annalise. Because of you, we got Robert Herjavec back to Canada. I thought we'd lose him. Like, I thought we'd lose him to Shark Tank, to L.A., but honestly, like, now that he's back. Damon's right, taken do, over his seat. Do you have and, any regrets no, from the last episode? I mean, they have so many I've, guest I heard, sharks I heard now. some feedback. <laughs> they have so many guest sharks well, that it doesn't matter. That they're like, you know what? Yeah. You can take Robert. You can have him back. And we got him. We fucking got him back. And I'm really excited about this. I've heard it was rough listening for sports fans who already went through it. And then well, there reliving was a you guys going through it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, yeah. That's fair ball. But it's also not fair ball. Because we got Hershevik and not, uh, yeah. you know, showcase. So and that's what we wanted yeah. the whole time. Driven by Robert Hershevik. I think so. Well, I was a little concerned about it until I read that particular book, and then I realized I just need to be driven <laughs> and, and move past that. <laughs> have Have you bought more domain names since mm. uh, since all this happened on Friday? Do you know what? Not yet, but I think we could repurpose show A for uh, you know for other purposes. Oh, by the way, that was a Patreon episode. A lot of people aren't going to know what we're talking about here. That's fine. Well, uh, we go if you uh, go become a patron and listen. It was a dramatic. It was a very dramatic episode. It was pretty good. I feel like it's what Friday afternoon listening and, and recording should have been, which was an emotional roller coaster uh, with two people, uh, Corey and I, who were marginally informed uh, about what was happening. Uh, Annalise, who was negatively informed, so less than zero information. Um, yeah, all concluding to our inaccurate information. Yeah, all concluding yeah. to our, uh, desperate plea to get whatever we could, which ended up being, uh, Robert Herjavec, uh, the, the dragon <laughs> and shark from CBC and ABC's Dragon's Den and Shark Tank, respectively. So, I mean, I think it was, it was perfect. Okay. So I've summarized it for you. Uh, you don't need to spend six bucks. No, go spend that six dollars. Listen, you don't. You don't uh, need to. I just did it. It's, it's good, guys. We've got things to talk about other than the plane and the baseball news. Uh, Ottawa's dental plan, big news today out of Ottawa. Uh, the feds unveiled their dental plan. So starting next year, it will cover routine dentistry costs for kids and seniors who meet a certain income threshold, and then they kind of have like a staggered rollout. It'll go to a bigger audience. Uh, by 2025, it will be the government's largest social program. So I don't know if you guys kind of caught the news on this today. The the feds were making a big deal. Like they were branding it as a truly historic moment, building on the legacy of Thomas du- Tommy Douglas, who laid the foundation for Canada's public health care system. Uh, the federal health minister called the program transformative. It will provide coverage to nearly 9 million Canadians who do not already have access to dental insurance. Interesting kind of strategy piece on this that I want to dig in with you guys is what the NDP are doing here. Um, They are branding it as the NDP's National Dental Care Program and saying that they forced the government to do this. It wouldn't exist without the NDP. So let's jump into this one. And then we've got um, a bunch of other things that are also making news that we will talk about. Corey, do you think this is a transformative program? Do you think think people care? Do you think it's going to help the libs? Mm, Well, you know, well, let's just say that it's rare to come across a government program, no matter what the size or scope is, that the government doesn't try to claim as transformative in the most breathless language possible, finding the examples of the people that it would benefit the most. I honestly don't know whether this is, you know, some big numbers of people who would get support who otherwise wouldn't get support. That's awesome. I think dental care is one of those underappreciated parts of healthcare. I kind of have to say that. My wife's a dental hygienist, but I also believe it to be true. But, uh, you know, it, it's not doesn't seem to be entirely as advertised and maybe a good first step, but really a lot of the, the dental coverage that people need 
uh, you know, it can get very expensive very quickly and it can, uh, you know, change in scope very dramatically going throughout your life. So devil is in the details as with all things. I don't know enough about the details, but I'll tell you, it's interesting that the government is once again trumpeting a new spending plan when you have the, the Polyev conservatives essentially attacking them on spending, the inflationary nature of it. We have some limited polling that suggests there's a certain fatigue with new plans. So wondering if this is actually going to be something that bears an awful lot of fruit in the polls, you know, politically. But, um, uh, you know, a big part of that NDP liberal deal was looking at things like this. So, of course, uh, you know, that's that's the other major component of it. Zane, let's talk about that thread that Corey has put on the table in terms of um, in terms of the spending in kind of like that big plan. There was this one today. Um, there's reports saying tomorrow a big housing announcement is coming um, about about blueprints and how we're going to build houses and stuff. Do you think there's appetite for sort of these big let's spend a lot of money and veil transformative plans in, in this environment? It depends on the audience. Corey points out uh, something that I was going to lay out as well, which is the current sort of um, political suite of issues that are at the top of folks' priority list certainly don't include, let's put housing aside for a second, certainly don't include a massive multi-billion dollar, multi-year rollout dental plan. Um, this was, of course, something that is a byproduct of the deal with the NDP, but it's also a hangover effect from the pandemic, where for that very narrow window, we bought into the new worldview, and we bought into the, the with, with times of lower inflation, of course, um, we bought into this big social change moment around childcare, dental care, pharmacare. Um, and you also saw the government driving very cleanly, at least from a narrative perspective, uh, less so from a how they would get their execution perspective, which, by the way, could be said as, as a chief criticism of this government, around making this the, their legacy, the cares, right? The pharma, dental, uh, uh, and, and of course, at the top of it, the one that they've gotten furthest down the line, childcare. I think it finds itself right now where there certainly is going to be an audience for something like this. Um, I think the reason that this program, beyond the practicality of it, starts with the very elderly, um, at least in its initial rollout, is that those folks yeah, vote. 87. Yeah, like those folks vote uh, if, they, well, those, if they live. Yeah. Um, do, do they? Do <laughs> the 87 Yeah, they do. The, mo- the mobile yeah. polls in, in, the, in your seniors' facilities, kind of tongue-in-cheek, also totally not. Right. Like I'm I'm actually totally like being serious about that. Like those polling stations across the country, it'd actually be really interesting to do a deep dive on mobile polls, especially where they're located in seniors facilities and look out the turnout at some of those. But the, the, the simple fact is and the reductive fact is that those folks vote. Right. So this is a entitlement. This is as well as it, it, it's it's one of those things for the larger sort of bleeding heart progressive clan, which is this is a social good. The core effects of it from a policy perspective, I still think, are years away to understand if it fully is internalized, if it's socialized, two meanings of that word, of course, like socialized in the sense that we keep funding it and socialized in the sense that we accept it. Um, I think that's still years away. There's still a provincial negotiation. There's still a, you know, the dentists competing with each other on if they're going to accept the fee guide that the government has built into this particular plan. Um, but there is a moment and there is an audience for this high spend uh, um, sort of uh, plan. Now, what the conservatives do with it, how much time they spend on it. And I also want to discuss how much time the government spends on it, because I think that's fascinating in terms of how they brand it. Uh, but it's re- what I'm really interested in is, is 
are the conservatives are they going to attack this or not i see merit for them to attack the fringes of it i don't see merit of them to get off their main issue the bread and butter issues that have gotten them the lead in the polls but i think we're still months away in terms of understanding if not years away it's true sort of policy impact in that sense so how much time do you think they should spend on it? And I guess, Corey, feel free to jump in. Like, talk about that. We've had that conversation about narrative and storytelling and going into the next election. Do you go really hard on this and this, like, narrative of we care? I, hmm, well, maybe. That's certainly a choice. And, and it still remains to be seen whether the liberals are going to try to tack to the quote-unquote center and, and have an economic message or talk about supports and the things that they're doing for people. This is certainly along the lines of supports, right? It is about filling the gaps. It's about providing care to Canadians um, who wouldn't otherwise have it. You know, the federal government took pains to stress during their presser that this wasn't to replace provincial mm -hmm. programs. This was to, quote unquote, fill gaps. And, you know, it's really, you know, it's a copay based system too, I guess is the thing I would say. So if you are really finding difficulty paying i'm not you know it's great to have 40 percent, 60 percent covered it might not be enough to actually drive you to the dentist remains to be seen what the effectiveness of some of this will be uh over the long term um and so i guess also a little bit risky to go down that path if it looks like it's insufficient for the canadians that it's supposed to help kind of brings me back to my point like they're talking in big language is this actually the hugest plan you know, $13 billion is a lot of money. It's not a lot of money for the federal government, if we're going to be frank. And will it actually fill the gaps or does it just, does it sort of overlay kind of, you know, a very kind of hole filled cloth that people will still be popping out of because they just, they can't afford it even with the co-payment, right? Remains to be seen. Zane, do you think there's appetite for this? And I mean, you, you mentioned um, the conservatives and f feel mm -hmm. free to kind of jump in on, on that thread. But at a time when Polyev is ahead in the polls and when they're, you know, g going hard on, on that, that housing stuff, like, is this, do people yeah. care about, hey, here's this program that like 9 million Canadians, they can like actually go to the dentist and they're going to be in less pain. You know what's really interesting about this? And I'm curious if Corey agrees. And, and I, this is just like a momentary instinct that I have, which is that this file is a fascinating one, not just because of what it does with the liberal conservative competition, but there is with the current decline in the poll numbers that the liberals have experienced, they might be in like a classic Ontario-like progressive primary with the NDP around who actually does the progressive mm. stuff. If their poll numbers start getting in the same range, and I know that there's just a natural sort of precondition that the liberals are always going to be ahead of the NDP, that happens until it maybe doesn't, right? And like, and there is something to be said that taking credit for a big social program might actually have to be the first step for the liberals here as they battle it out with the NDP in some weird, strange way, the co-authors of this program, mm. right? And then you, the NDP also has a fascinating political calculation, which is, do they want to make $13 billion sound like $130 billion? Because you can, through narrative and comms, right, by making it the biggest thing ever, when you also might have a chance to complete for those orange, blue, more economic sort of minded voters and say, but these 
these guys just, didn't they put in this like $100 billion dental program? Of course, it's not true, right? It's only $13 billion, But if you advertise it in such a way, and I don't mean that hmm. advertise like from a, from a money spend perspective, but if you broadcast it and market it in a certain way, you also have certain limitations on your overall growth that you might have as the NDP. So there's a fascinating progressive primary here, not just on this file, but if these numbers remain where they are and the liberals still get a couple points knocked out of them, enter some dynamics that we haven't seen in a very long time, which is the concept of the NDP and the liberals competing with each other to figure out who can ultimately be the transfer of the uh, progressive vote when, when push comes to shove during an election. And I think that jockeying is perfect for Pierre Polyev. It's the same dynamics that Doug Ford has been able to preserve in Ontario. I'm not saying Polyev is 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 on the verge of engineering it because there still are some liberal advantages, i.e. government, that they have. But there is fascinating sort of um, elements that could come into play uh, relatively shortly, if, if not at this current present moment. Yeah, you know, I'm. it's really a for me, what I think is most interesting about this plan is that it does seem, if anything, a play for kind of lower income households. And I don't mean like below poverty line households. I mean, below 70,000 where there are no copays, right? Mm-hmm. So the plan does seem to be focused towards that group of Canadians. That seems to be a group that all three of the major political parties are competing with pretty aggressively or competing for pretty aggressively at this point. And I'd I'd be so fascinated to see what the demographic breakdowns are on this particular plan and support for it, because it's, it's also quite possible that when you talk and Zane, I love what you're saying about kind of the liberal NDP primary, like maybe they're just trying to get ahead Mm -hmm, and know mm -hmm. that everybody else will fall in line behind as they often do where the votes will collapse. But it's it's also possible that they see this as something to kind of be a bit of a bulwark against what is growing conservative support amongst lower yes, income Canadians. Yes. Uh, I, you know, this is obviously focused at first towards senior citizens, which tend to be a more conservative group. Mm-hmm. It's focused towards children as of next year. It's, it's just really fascinating to see how some of this might break down and, and what the thinking might be here. I guess all to say tough to say what the politics are on this particular one right now but everybody seems to think that there's some upside with the, or with a certain demographic mm. which I'll say is Canadians below 70,000 can I can I add one lesson for the liberals yeah, that ahead. I would give them and it's just based on hopefully they've learned this lesson is that trying to make dental care into a cost of living argument is not a good strategy just mm-hmm. like you tried to make childcare as your response to cost of living. If you recall during two Christmases ago, right, cost of living was becoming that issue. Inflation was at record highs. And Trudeau stood out there and said, we're not going to throw any checks in the mail to you. We're not going to give you any sort of reduction on your heating. We understand, but our solution is childcare. Just look what we've done here. Don't repeat that mistake. There's two reasons not to repeat that mistake. Trying to make dental care into your response undermines the rest of the suite of things that you're actually doing for cost of living. And secondly, you are taking away from the impact that this dental uh, program could have around clarity, around value, and to Corey's point, around audience. If you muddy it as a cost of living solution for all versus a targeted solution for the few on, on the lower cost and elderly age, that's where you potentially have the ability to, to lose out uh, from both sides. You, you underwhelm on cost of living and you underwhelm on the audience that you're trying to deliver this specific program to. 
So advice for libs, what about the conservatives and the NDP? And let's start with the NDP. Like, how do how do they play this? I think they're coming out of the gate saying this NDP plan. It was plan. us. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It was us. Building but on Tommy is, is that not, his legacy, yeah. Like, is that That's not dangerous saying. when a different party, <laughs> got, like, when someone else is doing it? Like, what happens if there's, you know, huge delays or huge issues or whatever? Like, talk to me about what you would advise the NDP do here. You know, I think that's actually not a particularly risky thing for the NDP because they can just blame the liberals for not implementing it very Properly. well, right? Yeah. Like we 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 got the plan and then this incompetent government couldn't deliver on the plan is is like just simple. It's not so hard for them, but it is an interesting question how much credit you can possibly get when it's the other people who are implementing it at the end of the day. Will Canadians see this as an NDP plan or will they see this as a liberal plan? I'll tell you from the media coverage today, feels like they're going to see it as a liberal plan, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Because it's like paragraph after paragraph of Mark Holland talking about all the benefits of the plan. And then at the end, you know, smashed in some NDB quote about how good the plan is and how it's them who did it. And that's just, you could think like, you know, some people are like, oh, it's at the end. It's the last thing they'll remember in an article. Absolutely not the case. I think, you know, we've got three media professionals here. No, you want to be at the top of the story. Um I don't know. It's It feels like they have actually a fairly legitimate claim to say it's an NDP plan. I'm not convinced the Liberals would have done this if they didn't need confidence and supply. But I do think ultimately people are probably going to credit the Liberals more than the NDP. Here's my crazy strategy idea for the Liberal uh, for the NDP. Well, first of all, it would have both of these pieces would have to be in place already. So this is advice for four months ago. Um, go back to your time machine. Oh, yeah. So this is That's great. Yeah, no, no, for sure. It's, Useful it's, it's advice. Really good. Let's hear it, Number thanks. one, in the agreement, I would have actually told the the governing liberals how much I wanted the ad campaign for this particular uh, rollout to be. That would have actually been one of my negotiating terms. I, alongside the policy, I would have wanted a dollar amount. I wanted to have seen the media spend uh, proposed plan. I wanted to have to ha- have that sp- spend be pretty sizable from a government dollar perspective. And then what I would have wanted to do is run parallel ads, which are going to be a fraction of the government ads because we're the NDP, right? We don't have all that money right now. And we're probably holding it till the election uh, to, to run on crazy things. I would have actually talked about it being the NDP dental plan, roll it out on a similar timeline, make it really interesting, creative, perhaps like conversational creative. That is the best chance to have the volume and reach and frequency of government advertising with you doing a victory lap on your own for you to take credit on with this particular file. That's interesting. I, I don't know if it would work. Yeah. I would have proposed it though. But, but the main sort of strategic point is if you wanted to go loud, you can't do it with your own money. You don't have enough. You don't have enough earned media. You're going to be at the bottom of the article. Leverage the government's resources with a sizable media spend. If it's a $13 billion plan, get a sizable media spend. Say and justify it. Make it terms of the plan. Run your parallel advertising. Hope that there is a collective conflation in the minds of Canadians, even if that means a couple more points towards you around taking credit you'll take that. And it was worthwhile, the party investment. And you, frankly, paid fuck all for it on the government side. Well, look, I, I mean, I think that's a, a canny plan. I don't think it's super ethical to force people to <laughs> spend government I'm, I'm money talk- to promote you politically. <laughs> but, but Corey, Corey, that could have been terms sure. of the arrangement. It could I mean, have been terms you, you would have to find a justification. It, yes, you would. It, it would it's, be, it's, it's a little it's tough a to do when they're saying like... And seniors are everywhere. Who knows where these 87-year-olds go for media, Corey? Okay, we got to be at all grave sites. We got to be at all TikTok. Okay, we got to be all coffee. They're, they're everywhere. Everywhere. visiting their partner, yeah. right? Okay, so we got to be at every coffee news. We got to be in every community. Listen, 
I think there's a case to be made here. If the if the NDP want to take credit, there was some plotting a few months ago that maybe could have happened. And frankly, I'm not going to like, you know, unilaterally put my sword down uh, just to be like, you know, this is maybe not like, this is how the world works in some ways, and they should have taken advantage of it if there was an opportunity. Now, like, are there other considerations? Absolutely. Am I being a bit reductive? Yes, on purpose. But to make a point around the fact that there is something to be said around taking credit with and using some of the liberal sort of halo on this or energy on this or, or even earned media analysts on this and trying to divert it to you. And there's nothing to say you can't do your own little ad campaign, something that's creative, something that's already in the can tested around this, especially if you if you were saying this is the largest social program in Canadian history and you want legacy level credit for it, there's got to be something more than, you know, uh, an earned media strategy that ends you up in the sixth paragraph of every article. Yeah, okay, but well, Zane, well, under your under your hypothetical situation, y- you you have in the NDP have input on ad spend needs to be this much, but they wouldn't have any control over the creative. That's like, why they do their own advertising. Walk me parallel. This. They do their own advertising in parallel to try to, to try to have a conflation around who took who who's effectively put this together. Look, so it's it's an interesting strategy. The idea of drafting off government ads, I think that like people have done yeah. that yeah. because yeah. you know they'll run a government ad and then they'll run their own party ads coming up to an election or things like that, and and hope people smash these things together in their minds. You see that almost every election with a government here. You, you see it at the what's tail, you see it at the tail about, end of an election, like of, of yeah, a What's unique yeah. about what you've said here is like you're basically telling the government they have to advertise, then you're taking credit for the government yeah. ads and you're drafting off the government this is ads. <laughs> Zane's which is, I mean, is so very big interesting. Right now. I mean, yeah, this Zane, is why I'd never Zane's, be hired to come like just... I'd never be. I mean, <laughs> I thought of this like 15 seconds ago. So, like, so give me some credit. But, but I feel like I feel like there is something to explore there. And, and and the main thing to explore is even if you put the government part aside around around ethics around whatever right like and there's an interesting discussion there to be had around like government yeah. ethics etc and, and like and I know we've chatted about it on this show especially nearing the end sort of thing but this is mm-hmm. middle of a term so there's something interesting about that on the timing but also around like what they could what is in their control right now right like right now. Should they be spending money on advertising and taking credit for this particular plan? I'd say even without these government ads, which may or may not happen. I don't think they are, but may not happen. Um, But who knows? Time will tell. And we may not even see them because we're not part of the target demo. If Stephen was here, he would certainly see them uh, as an 87-year-old man. Um, But but the fact is, I still think there is something to be said about the NDP trying to do something creative on this to create a bit of uh, ownership um, and credit for themselves on this particular file. Yeah, look, let's broaden the point. If you're not getting it through earned, we've said this a hundred times, you've got to pay for it. That's where, that's kind of the purpose of paid in in a general mix of owned, earned, and paid, right? You can't Mm -hmm. get them to write what you want. You pay to get exactly what you want written. And so uh, logic there, not really sure the NDP can afford a national campaign of this scope. It would have to be fairly targeted. Probably should be anyways, because not everybody's going to benefit from this. So you certainly want to make sure that you're not advertising to people who say make just over the income cutoff. We were saying, well, fuck, that's fucking fantastic. Mm -hmm. No good for me, right? Um, But uh, I, I mean, it's interesting. I have to sit and chew on it. My first reaction is not super negative. Look, I think it's clever. I do kind of ponder the overall ethical ramifications <laughs> you're sound, of it. You're sounding like someone who who works at government who worked at government comms with this. I ran government communications. So what if I came to you with that it, idea? You know, if I said, cor- I would say, don't even tell me that idea. Yeah, yeah. That, like, that that's not for you. That's not for say. you, right? Exactly. That's, what you would say. that's like that's a not a me conversation. But what if what if you found out? 
right? As as the person executing this, that there'd be some Tokyo drift happening with uh, <laughs> with the, the NDP coming surely right there after you on your on your ads. Would that like fundamentally and ethically actually bother you, Corey? It would piss uh, me piss off. Piss you off. Hard. That's fine to me. <laughs> but but you know me. what? But you know what? What I what I would say about this is mm-hmm. like I'm I'm a big believer in there is a legitimate role for government ads. We live in a democracy. The people have a right to know. The government has a duty to inform. You want to know what your government is up to. You advertise to them because they have to make decisions at the end of the day whether they support your government's agenda or not. Right? That's that's all really good. But the minute somebody is saying, "Okay, liberals, to support your continued governance." I want you to spend so good. public money so good. on advertising that will give me political upside. That will give us. Like, that will I, give us political upside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's really pretty. just sell it more, Zane. That will give. Like, that I mean, that. Okay, but Corey, everything the government advertises is a program. Like you are familiar with ad scam. Right? No, like no, no, no. But look, at, uh, answer this for me. Everything the government advertises, right? Everything, yeah, is a government program. Created by the government, which is ultimately yeah. run by, at the end of the day, partisans. Are we just now become total nihilists around political I'm sorry, but like, like no. what are we talking yeah. about here? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm putting out, but at the end of the day, everything the government runs advertising for helps the government. So in this case, the government, yeah. one can argue, is two political parties stitched together, and one of them has fucking leverage over the other like i mean if we're talking about utilizing the power the ndp has like this is the power that they have no Look, and i understand I, I mean, the ethics. this is i get i get it. it's not no 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 like that i think like don't discount the ethics i think it's a pretty important line that needs to be drawn i'm not going to pretend it's always clear mm-hmm. like the amount of gray you have to deal with in a day-to-day basis in government is yeah. just really wild in this space you know i can't tell you the number of conversations i've had with people political people in both parties who have said oh i think we should be allowed to do this and i've said i really don't think that's appropriate and we go 12 rounds on it and you know sometimes they convince me of like the precedents that make it actually appropriate and sometimes i convince them of the precedents i my job in those situations was to hold the line and keep pretty clear public sector rules of division on this particular one. Where the, the part that makes me uncomfortable, frankly, Zane, is not the NDP drafting off government it's ads. It's a part A. Like if the government's good, it's part yeah. A. It, it's saying you must spend the money on these government ads, which we will then draft on, right? To make it conditional upon support for it, for it, parliament. Corey, on that, is there like an amount? Like is there, is there a level no. or an, an amount just, where you're it, like, this is uncomfortable or it's but black? But Corey, you're also the it's same black. guy who says, you know, the duty to communicate. Like the, the government yeah. has. So yeah, add that into the mix as we now go to hosts on, on, on on one person who clearly can't can't accept the fact that a great honestly, strategy came from someone that isn't him. I honestly I feel like don't that's what's think it's that here. complicated. When you're advertising, okay, first of all, let's say this about government advertising. Most government advertising is not remotely controversial. Like you wouldn't even think twice about it. It's like, hey, make sure you've renewed your license, right? And crap like that, that doesn't necessarily give any kind of upside to anybody, right? There are times where you want to advertise on the issues of the day. Certainly when there's a new policy, you need people to be aware of it. You need them to know the pros and the cons, but that's kind of, for me, a bit of the line. Like you, you, is your job, if your advertisement is informing, that's one thing. And if it's obfuscating, that's another thing. Like I've said, those lines are not always clear in the real world, but you know, they're generally not that unclear. And I can think of examples, for example, in 2016, 17, when the government of Alberta was advertising on the climate leadership plan. Lots of money spent on climate leadership plan ads. Those climate leadership plan ads 
were pretty forthright about both the upsides and the downsides. You will pay more was part of those ads. Here's the things that will be done was part of those ads. But it was clarifying for people what was actually occurring at that particular moment. If you were just running an ad saying this is only the greatest thing ever, and concurrently the NDP were running ads saying brought to you by the NDP of the same thing, I'd be a little concerned. I'm about not that, saying it says it's the greatest thing bring- ever, but I would say like here's a great thing that you now get uh, that we've now developed starting with this rollout. I mean, like it's it's concrete facts about what you're getting and what's being rolled out. It's the duty to inform, and I'm I'm simply suggesting, I mean, not to make this you know the entire focus of the episode that the NDP drift on that. But I'll tell you bring- this: he's not done. Yeah, he's not well, done. Bring-, bring it to a close. I think. <laughs> no, tell us this, is, and then th- these are the arguments that would occur in government. I'm sure, all of the I'm time. Sure. I'm not going to name names. And I'm, sure, I'm playing the role of the partisan, say, am I not? Like that's in the yeah. minister's office. We want to run. Yeah. We want to run ad X, you know, or we want this government ad to run and we think it should have the minister's face on it. And I would say, well, the minister's face is not allowed on ads because of our ad policy here. Please look at this ad policy. And they're like, well, it actually says the minister's face can be used if it's a town hall. And this is a telephone town hall. So we think the minister's face should be allowed to be put on it, right? Actual examples of conversations I've had. And then all of a sudden you're like, hmm, interesting. Are they actually advertising for a town hall? Is this a legitimate use of government advertising? Or are they just trying to blanket the minister's likeness everywhere? Illegitimate use of advertising. And those lines are not always Mm. clear. But you have to start from like a principles base, right? What is the principle of spending for government advertising? And it's to inform. And if it's to just create a a usable environment for a political party, that's challenging. You know, that's very challenging. And again... Not always black and white. In this case, I think it's a little more black and white because you're can saying liberals say, spend public money so that we can do partisan action. Can I just say that none of the ethically dubious things I have mentioned on this program should be uh, taken into account with my Muslim upbringing? Thank you. While we're talking about ads, uh, can you weigh in on the, the new liberal ads um, against Polyev and kind of as your thoughts as, as this man who understands ads, uh, what you think of the liberals' new ad strategy? I don't know if they have one just yet, other than the fact that, okay, there's a, there's this Toronto Star article. Uh, it's a, it's just annoying the shit out of me. So it's ultimately suggesting... Unburden yeah, yourself. Yeah, well, it's okay. Yeah, Lay it on. Talk to us about it. Well, ultimately what it's saying is that the liberals have to be careful about negative ads, that negative ads in their own right aren't sufficient, and that there's going to be positive to, to reinforce the entire message for the liberals. I, I'd say that there is some merit in that, but I think it's also like a fundamental misunderstanding of advertising. And I think what you see right now with the liberals is that they have they have some things that they are testing in the field, largely like organic social content that's video, which this columnist um, points out as being advertising. But but I think that the, the more sort of global point here is is something that's often misunderstood, that there needs to be like an equivalency between negative and positive on the same medium. And I'd see this all the time when developing ads or talking to folks, which is like, you know, if we do a negative spot, we need an equal spend, same reach, same frequency, same audiences on a positive spot, because, you know, that's how we get both sides of the story. And often it's not that neat. And it's strategically not that neat. 
Um, there's a lot of cases where you want to top load negative, where you want to go 90% negative, where you want to do positive on different mediums, where negative can be masked as things that don't look like negative, like wit or uh, humor or uh, different flights that you use. So you give people a bit of a break so there's no fatigue on it uh, or, or replacing the type of creative and pace that you do. And I think the lazy conclusions we often get to and, and ones that we often accept is that, yeah, I know we got to tell the positive side of the story. And we just assume that it's going to be that same equivalent when often that is not the case. Often campaigns that run multi-million dollar ads, especially in politics, have a tilt. Sometimes that tilt is positive, generally when you're ahead. But a lot of times when you're behind, that tilt is negative. Not because not because you're not telling a positive story, but because you're trying to do specific things. And often with negative advertising, sometimes it disguises different things or other times the positive is delivered in other mediums. Um, you got to, you got to effectively put out uh, a lot more negative than, than you, um, uh, than, than people fully appreciate is, is a larger story. And so my concern with articles like this is that it finds itself in terms of conventional wisdom, right? Like that, that people are like, yeah, it's going to have a, the conventional wisdom is that you can't negative isn't sufficient enough. Sure. But negative advertising is often sufficient enough because the positive is being told in other mediums, by other players, by earned media, by other focus points, uh, by by validators. And there's so many other tools that help you tell the positive. Uh, and I feel like, you know, if I'm the liberals taking in this messaging, I would not burn a lot of money on positive right now. Do you have, I mean, you had this this cool idea for the NDP for ads. Unless the government can fund it. Here's what I would do, Corey. I would then get the government to fund your positive, okay? Here's what I'd, I'd go to the guy who runs the public affairs. Give us your advice. I'd be like, I just want the prime minister just doing positive ads, and he's just going to he's just gonna be there, and we're going to spend $50 million on it. $50 million. Yeah. yeah, not not so far off, like, random requests that you might get. Yeah, I'm, I mean, sure, day in that I'm sure they were. Yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, it's... It's always interesting when people opine on ad strategy for political parties because political party ad strategy is so different from ad strategy for selling like an RV. Like we've said this a hundred times, right? You're trying to change people's minds and that requires different tools. You're not just trying to get share of mind. So when you're selling most products, for those who don't know, we talk about share of mind. We just want to be like one of the top three options that you have so that when you actually go into market to purchase these things, you'll be like, well, I remember Toyota, I remember Ford, and I remember Hyundai. So I'm going to go look at cars at those three places. And hopefully a lot of those other things that you've got working for you in your marketing context, like the nature of the car, you know, the bells and whistles that will appeal to different demographics will get you over the line. And the job of a lot of advertising a lot of the time is just to make sure you remember and that you're at the top of the list or in the top three when you go buying something. That's not what political parties do. That's not what advertising for political parties is about. We know the liberals are in your top three. We know the conservatives are in your top three. Mm -hmm. We know the NDP are in your top three. You fucking know all of the players. That's not what we're trying to do with political advertising. We're trying to change your mind. And I think to Zane's point, generally speaking there's there's two streams of political advertising there's picking the apples off the ground the things that are loose the people that are loose they don't have an opinion they're the undecided voters right and they're shaking the tree to get the apples on the ground and sometimes you got to shake the tree you got to remove people from the conservative orbit you got to remove people from the liberal orbit you got to pick them up 
And negative advertising is about shaking the tree. It's about making people say, oh, I don't, I don't think I can support them, right? I don't think it's there. Now, where I think that this gets into what this uh, analyst was saying, and look, it's an analyst, as quoted by the Toronto Star, we don't know what the full length of the commentary was. We just know what the reporter found interesting enough to put in a column. But I'll say this, or like the newspaper found to put in the column after it got through the editors, because I think they actually wrote it. But I will say this, it's not wrong that sometimes you need to pick up the apples through positive messaging. It's just not necessarily necessary, right? Because if you are in a two-person race, if you shake them off one tree, they're either going to be in your basket or they're not going to be in anybody's basket, and you kind of win, right? If it's a three-person race, if you've got that progressive primary Zane's talking about... Yeah, you might shake them off the conservative tree. You want to make sure they end up in your, if you're the liberals, you want to be in the liberal basket, not the NDP basket. Now, historically, conventional wisdom is that's a shorter walk for people from conservative to liberal. And so you've got a natural advantage. I think we're seeing that conventional wisdom be shaken up a fair bit here as we start to see what we've, you know, pleasantly called over the last 20 years, these orange-blue shifts. People are willing to go straight from the conservatives to the NDP and vice versa. All to say, though, it really depends on the landscape, depends on what you're trying to do, it depends on the other players on the field. All of this is a consideration as you're building these ad strategies. And where I 100% agree with Zane, it is not one size fits all. You can run all negative ads if you want. That can and they work. don't have to appear Campaigns as conventional, like thunderstorm and rain clouds negative, which which often sure. is like kind of seen as one dimensionally what negative ads are. are yeah, um, slow mo, yeah, yeah. black and white, you know. Like the voiceover, like, Rachel Notley wants to take away your children. Teach them woke ideologies, right? Like that kind of stuff. There are other ways you can do negative ads too. So, you know, in general, I think it's impossible to weigh whether it's good advice or not until... We know what the fuck the liberals are doing until we know the story. I mean, I think I think we're fucking further ahead on this podcast than they are yeah. right now. Like seriously, I mean, like this uh, this this writer's crediting them for writing for and 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 producing these ads. They're not ads. They're like you know vertical social media posts. That by the way, if they ever advertise, just take a look at them. It would make sense to no one because they're about house votes and like you know clips of Pierre saying one thing and saying it's so inside baseball. It's so misaligned to where they need to be. If they're actually doing advertising right now, those are not the people. To be clear, this is more so my sort of, you know, broadcast to them. Go negative, go hard, disguise negative as being other things. You don't need to spend money on positive right now. You're in such a big fucking hole, right? Get to neutral and then figure out your story, man. Well, it's an interesting thing because you're, you're basically arguing you're in a hole, so drag the other guy into the hole. 100% with you I am right now. Just see which of you can, can pile out. Better than what first. they're doing. <laughs> well, and again, often works, right? Uh, real different from the sunny ways where we saw Justin Trudeau in 2015. But as we've said, he's going to probably need a new brand regardless. Well, I wouldn't even forward. mind like the dark times require like a punch in the face to fascism if that's like where they want to fully go. Like, I'm not saying that that's, that's how hard they... But like, there is a like a pugilist element to Trudeau right now that, that, that has been historically known for him. And it's like, fuck it, like let the Hulk rip his shirt off and like let's get into like the mud right now. There is an element of that it brand. Just, the imagery you're Oh, I know. I'm full of ideas tonight. I mean, okay, listen. let's. Uh, you know what? Corey? Wrap this one up. But the government should pay for it. Okay, that's what I want. I want that. <laughs> at the end of the day. I want my tax dollars to go there. Can I say so like, one, one of the pieces of the content of these ads? Because we've talked yeah. about the strategy, but not the content. Is comparing Pierre Polyev to Donald Trump. So there's an awful lot of that. Yeah. 
And so, listen, Zane's right. They seem to be more social posts than anything. Often with these ad, these quote unquote ads, or let's call them messages, right? You put them out there and you see what's working. You see uh, what's resonating with various audiences before you blow out those arguments into 30 second spots or anything like that along the way here. And, and it's quite possible they're doing that right now and trying to see if people are actually going to say, oh, yeah, this guy is saying the same stuff as Donald Trump. Oh, yeah, that's scary, right? I'm doubtful that ultimately that's going to end up being that, that fruitful, frankly, because it's not actually hurting Donald Trump mm-hmm. being Donald Trump in the United States. Yeah, right? so like proxies of Donald these... Trump are not really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, proxy, like being one step removed in a country one step removed just doesn't oh, really necessarily like, strike fuckers me as up like, six points in georgia right now like it's terrifying oh, i just i can't it's even terrifying with yes yeah, no yeah but but yeah like i just don't i think it's just too easy to dust off and say ah and you know what and at the end of the day unfortunately there's actually still a lot of people who like donald trump too okay any any final words just on ads final advice that's it yeah that's what this is all about okay guys let's move on to our next segment um i want to talk about a rumor on friday that was swirling that uh ndp leader in alberta rachel notley was going to step down this was based as best i can tell on a blog post that was based on a tweet from a conservative operative not even operative, like a conservative political guy. It's amazing. Um, That's about, what passes for news these days. Yeah, blog based <laughs> yeah, on a tweet. A standing now amplified on a podcast. Blog based on a tweet that amplified <laughs> on a podcast that led to many media calls to the NDP on um, on Friday. So Rachel Nolly did not step down. You don't say. On Friday. Wait, you're telling me a, news. a successful politician did not step down on a Friday in December? It, well, yeah. so, th- so this Weird. is where this is where I want your guys' take is like if, if you're advising her and i think we're all laughing because when right it was like why friday in december why on earth but if you're advising her when should she step down and like how how when mm. is december totally off limits are fridays totally off limits like well december talk to would, me about your strategy here well it, continuing my theme december would be off limits because you want to take that government paid vacation right you want to take those <laughs> couple of weeks off and you want to really yeah. milk yeah. that from the government. The Christmas closure, we okay. call it. So you want to get that, right? You want to get paid for that, right? Uh, that's the only part that I know so far. That's the only thing. Um, I'll go, and I'm curious if Corey aligns. Um, you want to own a moment, and, I, and I'd and i suggest you want like this perfect sort of long, not short, but also not long until you leave. And the reason I kind of like have this middle ground is mainly for one thing, which is fundraising. Your job right now, if you are, walk us through this thing. Well, I do believe that because of who Rachel Notley is, and and frankly, what she has been able to do, taking this party from her leadership nearly a, a decade ago to forming government and to now forming the largest opposition, um, there is a lot of pent up admiration. There is a multiple victory lap, so to speak. Um, And you want to cash in on that, not just for like the halo that that gives you as a leader, not just to run back the clock on the legacy of what she's been able to build, what I've just talked about in broad strokes, what she's been able to do, but also for the money. And you want to be able to activate the donor class. You want to kind of do certain things, whether that's events, final goodbyes, digital fundraising. So I think that needs to find itself in like a medium sort of terrain. 
Um, I think extending it beyond that looks like you're you're kind of like overstaying your welcome. I'm not, I'm not giving you specific times in terms of how long, how many weeks I'm talking about here. But you want to be able to accommodate a few of these final sort of like send-offs that are both financially helpful to the party and solidify her legacy. So that would be right start the conversation with her, right? Would be like, if you are planning to do this, which we do not know, but there it is rumored. If mm-hmm. you are planning to do this, here's what I would think of. We want to make sure you solidify the legacy, which, by the way, is also code for saying have some directionality in terms of what your successor looks like. I think they're on after the advice is to stay out of it. But of course, different leaders have different um, sort of um, models of how they think about that. And then it's about the financial health of the party. What can we do to maximize the, the send off in, in that regard? Those are a couple of considerations I would have. Corey, what's your advice? Well, I I think it really depends on goals. There are leaders who leave and they want to leave quietly, either because they just, that's who they are, or because they just don't want to draw attention to what was a failed tenure. That's obviously not Rachel Notley, right? She was the first NDP premier of Alberta. She has the largest opposition. That's not a failed tenure. So I don't see why she would try to make things as quiet as possible. Like a leaving announcing you're leaving a friday in december is the political equivalent of an irish goodbye right like just ghosting on the party partway through just you know everyone's over by the dip you just get your coat and you slink out the back it's just not what's going to happen it just seems like a crazy notion that anybody anybody even kind of fabricated this you know it's just like it's just not how politicians ovation Corey. come on sure and maybe she won't be leader next time the house comes back but that's that's months away you know there's a lot of time between now and then very well could have been the last time in the legislature that she was leader of the ndp but could be in january could be in february i'll say this as well your timing question is really dependent too on goals And so Zane's already talked about how you want to make a big splash and there's some benefit to use that splash. But has Rachel Notley done everything she wants to do on the way out the door? Is there anything she wants to do for her party? We've talked before about the leadership process. Mm -hmm. Does she want to change the leadership process? Does she want to put a bit of a firm hand on how it's going to be managed? Does she want to take any grenades for the party? Do anything unpopular on her way out the door that her, you know, successor would otherwise have to deal with really early on? You know, maybe it's a fight about the place of the unions in the NDP. Maybe it's about making the party a little more closed off. So take back Alberta can't possibly take over the leadership contest. Like there are things that she might be contemplating at this particular moment that will also play into that equation. And some of them might be selfish and some might be very selfless. They might actually damage her legacy in the short term, but strengthen the party in the long term, which in turn does, I believe, strengthen her legacy. So would you, would you actually tell her to step on any, like, or, or like take any grenades right now, Corey? Like as she's out yeah, the door, really? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. Would. I would say. I would say don't. I would say, is there anything that needs to be cleaned? Like you want to think about it in terms of like who, the next leader. If you're leaving on day one, what is like the biggest pile of shit that you have to deal with right now that you feel like you need to manage? And is there any way for you to manage it on the way out, where all of the ill will that goes with you dealing a difficult situation can go with you? That would be good. Um, I, like I said, the leadership rules might be one of those considerations where all of the leadership contestants have the opportunity to say like, well, I certainly would have preferred a more open contest because I believe we're an open party. But, you know, this is what the party decided for the rules. And certainly we've got a very strong, robust, diverse, dynamic membership base. Uh, it's just a shame that you had to be a member for six months to vote in the leadership or something like that. Mm. 
That might be one of those things that doesn't look super awesome, but it's better Rachel Notley does it than it looks like everybody is colluding to do it, right? So there are things that you might want to consider if you're an outgoing leader. Is there a time frame that's too long? Like you were saying, okay, it can be in the future. Obviously, it was not going to happen on a busy news day in December on a Friday. Yeah. But is there such a thing as like dragging it on too long while different people are planning their bids for leadership? And what like what is what is too long? I mean it's the worst answer, but it, it again depends on your goals, right? And obviously there's a leadership contest going on right now. Mm-hmm. And Rachel Notley has not even said publicly, at least as far as I know, yeah. that she's going to go, right? She could very easily stick around until the next election if she so chose to do it. But I think a lot of she'd people have that she won't. To do so, I'd, I'd imagine very Yeah, similar. and there's a lot of jockeying yeah. now, though. And there's people drawing camps and there's folks going out and meeting with folks. And you can sort of understand where these lines are being drawn. And Speaking, speaking of which, that's a are we pushing those Zane for Leader posters? Sorry, we should. this is probably a good time to push those. <laughs> um <laughs> Um, by the way, I'm available at the strategy. Yeah, I'll just declare that yeah. I'll be running in this leadership race as well. Uh, okay, so very good. good. Yeah, we haven't paid the, well, the entry fee at any of the previous ones I've run it. So maybe this time. Yeah, but you know what? You haven't done worse than a lot of other people. So <laughs> I actually came just behind Jean Charest. It was very, it was very, <laughs> very true. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, if she. If there is, to your point, I think, Annalise, a challenge where if everybody, quote unquote, knows you're leaving and they've sort of moved on in their minds and you've sort of lost authority as a leader, that can become deeply challenging. But because I think of the unique character of the Alberta NDP at this moment, and that unique character is it was basically created by Rachel Notley in its modern form. She's got a lot of latitude to stick around and she's going to have a lot of authority. Yeah. I could easily see if she was Aaron O'Toole in a similar situation, mm. this would be this would be way too long, right? She's not Aaron O'Toole. So it really does depend on the situation and the leader's connection with the party. And and honestly, I can't imagine a stronger one. So I think she's got a lot of latitude to do what she wants to do when she wants to do yeah, it. Yeah, I'll just jump in. Like I think I think like any good government paid political ad, Corey's been able to persuade me um, that that party health should be looked at beyond money. So I would kind of like to me, I would almost dictate those goals saying like your legacy has to be top of it. The party health. I talked about fundraising. I think that's huge because, you know, yeah. th- th- that that is. And frankly, the fundraising element also extends to the rules of the leadership race. So when Corey mm-hmm. talks about it, like how you contour that, how your influence looks like on that, the entry fee. Do you want to take care of that before you go? The rules around like how long you have to be a member, all those sort of things. Like all of that will actually affect the financial health. And then I, I this is where I where where I initially disagreed, but would probably agree with Corey around like the health of the party beyond like around the shit the baggage all that sort of stuff what you can clear out of the way for for the next person but i would still say the number one goal is like as long as it you feel like it does not affect the long-term legacy here because i think rachel notley she's young relatively young has probably another chapter to write in some way shape or form it may not be politics but she will be remembered as the the greatest progressive premier that this province has had and and i mean that is a huge accomplishment and um 
so there is another chapter for you as a person. There's another chapter for you in how you are celebrated politically, um, around how you're kind of seen within the NDP, wherever it goes from here, regardless of the next leader. And I think solidifying, or at least beginning the process to try to put it on a track, I think is one of those first things. Corey might disagree with me that you that you can't do that right now. It's all about the, the short strokes in the moment. But to me, if I'm advising her and just her, like, and that is my, like, client, so to speak, that would be top of the list for me. Well, look, I think uh, it does go back to goals. I, I actually think it's a worthwhile exercise to sit down and say, this is what I want to accomplish on my way out the door and actually define those things because it's helpful in clarifying the actions you then take. And even the act of writing them down and seeing consistencies and inconsistencies can really strengthen a plan. It's advice I would give to anybody for any plan, right? Don't just mm-hmm. think you got it in your head, actually put it on paper and see if it makes any fucking sense when you've actually wrote it down as one page, just great strategic advice in general. And I think it's good advice for somebody as they go out the door and they think about those things like what if my legacy becomes in conflict with where I want the party to be in six months mm. you know, what which one am I going to prioritize as Rachel Dotley as I start to make these decisions and so you know there is there's no shortage of right ways to leave a political party leadership and there's no shortage of wrong ways and at the end of the day you want to be mindful about what you're trying to accomplish at that particular moment so many people leave the leadership of a political party not on their own two feet. Like they're just, it's dictated mm. to them. Either they're ousted or they don't really have a choice. They've lost their caucus. Rachel Notley has this really amazing opportunity in that she, leaders don't usually get to leave this way, you know, with the strength that mm. she has right now and the authority in the party she has right now. And I'm sure that authority has started to diminish significantly even in the past six months. And it's only going to continue to do so. But at this moment, she just has so much ability to shape her next chapter, as Zane put it, and the next chapter for her party and the next chapter for the province and so on and so on. So it's going to be really interesting to see what she does with it. Not fucking surprising she didn't decide to slink out the back door on a Friday afternoon. In December. Yeah, I mean, th- that, about- that move is reserved for like Tim Duncan. Yeah, that's a <laughs> what, Tim Duncan. What about timing? See him later at Old Navy. <laughs> timing goals. Car- all cargo that pants thing, but. Yeah. <laughs> what about um what about the actual like the actual announcement? Is is the only way to do it to to you know call a press conference, have no, your I, big I, media I advisory, everyone knows or like it's a video to me. Yeah, I've, t- talk talk to me about how especially in core you've pointed out like unique circumstances, very respected. It's not like you have to quietly walk away on a Friday in December. Like how how do you go about making that announcement of and, and building that legacy piece. I have two thoughts. Number one, it's either one video that is a, here's the decision of my announcement, and then a retrospective, or it's one that here's a very short uh, announcement and a, a companion video that is like a thank you, Rachel, sort of like celebrating the past, so starting to solidify what this government has done, what this leader has done. It's there for both starting right away uh, to start solidifying the, the uh, memories, the validation, the accomplishments, the history, all that sort of stuff, tightly packaged, emotional, emotive, that sort of stuff. I'd start that stuff right away um, because people will want to move on to the speculation of who's next, what's next, what are the rules? Like, that's just the nature of this sort of thing. So as soon as you announce, you want to also bake in a built of like, you're now going on your own track and you're like announcing a a bit of this this, um, 
down memory lane uh, compilation in, in some way, shape, or form as well. I think the press conference, to me, is is not the way to do it. I think it's not controlled. I don't think it has the emotional sort of uplift that you need. It doesn't give you the the reach, one would argue. You can even pay for some of this additional stuff if you need to, depending on what you do and how you do it uh, with these other creative pieces. But for me, it's a video. That That is kind of like, this, that's the first comms product or marketing product that I would look at. Yeah, so I I think I disagree. Let me tell you why I think there's a reason politicians tend to default to the news conference. And it's actually, the benefit is the thing that Zane just described as a drawback, which is it's not controlled. And, and not controlled is a benefit for a leader on the way out for a couple of reasons. First is, think about that video. Oh, fuck, that's tricky. I mean, obviously, family can be in it. Uh, you go beyond family to just random people on the street. There's the chance that this video has leaked in a big way. That's tough to pull together and keep it still even partially a secret. You put the caucus in. You're not going to put no, all 30 some members of the of caucus in. So you've got to suddenly pick who's in it and who's not in it, what the prominence is. You're going to piss somebody off depending on somebody's clip being longer or shorter. Corey's just assuming what video I'm making the... here. He's just, he's just making such <laughs> well, broad assumptions. poking so many holes. This... But no, yeah, but fair I'll enough. Say, keep going. Like, you have a point there. Those I, are you're challenges. making a good point, though. Yeah, yeah. And then, and so sometimes it's just easier to just to have all of your caucus there and they can all clap and they can all look rueful and smile and say, thank you, Rachel. And if they do a moment, it's a moment and it wasn't controlled and it's not your fault. And you can't really help it if Sarah Hoffman immediately grabbed the microphone and talked about what a great day it's going to be for the future of the Alberta NDP. You can't really help it. If, you know, uh, Racky Bacholi then immediately is starting to hand out placards in, in the crowd. But most importantly, like, you can't just... help it if Samir Kayande rolls up with several dozen Zane for Leader posters <laughs> and starts handing them out to the media. You won't be able to help it, okay? So you can just, like, you don't have to worry about the politics of your crafted exit. That not controlled can be a benefit for caucus management, right? And the second one is... Not controlled because there will be emotion on display. And if you produce a video and it's a produced video and it's Rachel at certain points looking misty eyed in the distance, that's going to feel very canned and forced as opposed to her starting to talk at a press conference and losing her composure and talking about how much she loves the province and how much she's loved the NDP team and how wonderful it's been to be just a part of the story of this place. And, and she's just so proud of what they've accomplished together. And, you know, that that is a moment. It's not canned, and that not controlled element all of a sudden becomes a benefit. Here's what, Did he persuade you again? No, he didn't. Here's why he's wrong. Because the question is, do you want to see Rachel feel something, or do you yourself want to feel something? And I'd say the video format allows you to feel something. It's tightly produced. You can manipulate emotion. You can you can effectively get to a point where in this canned, produced like contained, and I think this is really important, right? And we talked about long format working, but you're not going to get a moment in a 30, 15 minute, eight minute press conference. You're going to get a clip. Anyone, most people who see it, Corey, are not going to see the buildup and the emotion. I'd rather have a contained set piece that allows me to feel something about someone rather than see someone feel something and see like a, a 14 second, like the, the, they applauded, she's gone, next news story, who the fuck is next? I would. I, Zane well, I wants control, but it. Zane, under your plan, is there like a follow-up press conference? Like when does she press answer media questions? Suck. Fuck press conferences. No, 
There isn't. So it's just is, a video is, and no she media comes out. She, she has an availability right AMA. after. Depends, depends, once again, uh, depends on her goals, as Corey would say. Um, <laughs> deep answer. But it does. Oh, my God. It does. No, I think her goals are her legacy, and I want her legacy to be contained, rinse, repeat, reach frequency. Which so is, she does I'm kind of going, media? I'm going from my strategic lens, though, right? Which is like, this is about preserving and telling that broader story. I think that is best served through something contained, something uh, emotive, something emotional. And it is done through video. She does go to media. So your question is, I think she does one-on-ones. I think she may do a press availability, whatever she needs to. Uh, but I don't think that's the primary instrument of how people find out. Okay, but here's the challenge with that. I'm going to throw one more challenge on here. here. That video is produced by Rachel Notley in celebration of Rachel Notley, right? It's so much better to have the announcement and then have a video come a little bit later made by other oh, I agree. people, made I agree. by the party. I agree with the challenge. Understand. I get it. I get it. Like, the, yeah. you want the party, you want validators, you want a bunch of people she's impacted, you want all that sort of yes. stuff. Yeah, you can do that yeah. at the and final really $1,900 ticket gala. Okay, Corey, you can do that then. Okay, it's put <laughs> on completely, it's going to be held at Government House, okay? That's where it's held, right? We don't care. <laughs> We're getting a free rental at Government House on the government dime. No, but Corey, you make a good point, right? You are fundamentally limiting the scope of that video. It's going to be a lot of voiceover, B-roll, memory lane, news clips, potentially, around, like, what she's been able to do. You know, it's it's tougher, you're not going to get like that. But still, I would still go for that above and beyond the news conference just because of the fundamental limitations of the news conference. I like the impromptu. I'm all about the impromptu. I like the emotive. I like the human wall. I hate it. But for this particular sort of circumstance, I like a lot of what you're saying. But I just think that as it relates to the primary goal of reach, frequency, and legacy, it does not help um, as much as a contained video. I... I... I disagree. I don't super strongly disagree, Zane, but I I disagree. I th- I think that you just sort of have more of a opportunity to create a moment. Like I think a video like that is going to be like out there for a day. You know, it, it'll be shared with the diehards for a week. And and the press conference the- is out there for what? Yeah. Okay. Well, like, look, and we can think about examples of when videos have really worked, taking my talents to South Beach, right? And we can think of examples where press conferences have really worked, where people start to talk about this is the end of their career and this is the end of their legacy. Mm. Both can potentially work, but I think that the consequences of kind of flubbing a video... Like, why do that? You know, you you get so much more charity and grace in, when it's live as well. So here's the last point I'll make. That is, when like the, improv, you get a ton more charity and grace. I think that's an, a very true point, yeah. right? Like, w- w- yeah. any other art form, like, the movie's got to be a lot better than the improv show because, oh my God, they're making it up on the spot. Can you believe exactly. it? Yeah, it's not very yeah. good, but I can believe it. Like, there is... It's the, not very good, but it's funny and it's amazing because they didn't... Well, we're conditioned. We're conditioned. Here's the thing There's I'll tell you. There. I get yeah. it. Steve or Stephen Harper, when he was prime minister, and then there was this coalition that was going to be created of Stefan Dion and the liberals and the NDP, and it was going to be propped up by the bloc. We'll all remember this particular period. And Stefan Dion released this video that looked like it was shot in a cave under gunpoint, right? And it was just a very bad video because you couldn't help but watch it and say, that was the best take. And this is the person who's going to be prime minister. If he had given the exact same performance at a lectern outside of the House of Commons, I believe Stefan Dion would be prime minister Mm. or would have been prime minister, right? But the problem is the minute that you've kind of put this like, this is the official seal on it, you've raised kind of the requirements for the video so significantly. And I think given the handcuffs you have producing a video like that, if you want to keep it under wraps, if you want to keep peace in the caucus, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to all the way through, I just think it's really challenging to do that video right. And you've just got... 
Look, maybe the upside is comparable or even higher a video if you really fucking nail it. But I think the downside is higher too. And I think you just have no real downside if you do the press conference. It's got to be a good video, Zane, is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you better really get on that video if that's, yeah. uh, if that's in your Oh, no, no, no. I'm just going to get to do it for me, so... guys let's uh, let's leave that one there and move on to our lightning round first question in the lightning round um a speaker of the house of commons apologized this morning this is we don't super need to get into it video whether uh he should have made it he should have not his impartiality etc etc so he he made a video to the greeting to the ontario liberal outgoing interim leader that was shown out there yeah, wearing in in his office, wearing his Speaker robes. Um, he says it was a longtime friend. Um, he also said, despite assurances to the contrary, the video was um, it, like it was not supposed to be shown at this public partisan gathering. But now he's saying in hindsight, he never should have recorded it. Going forward, the clerk of the House of Commons will be consulted every time he's got a request for speaking. Anyways, lots of kind of insider stuff has been dragging on for a few days. Today he apologized. He said he will regain the retr- the trust of the House um, if MPs give him a chance, but he'll resign if they request it. Question for you. Lightning round. Should he resign, Corey Hogan? No, I think for a couple of reasons. One is he, um, he is given, I, I think, a pretty sensible explanation that this was not supposed to have been used in that particular venue. And unless there were evidence that came forward that strongly, you know, that suggested that was not the case, I, I think you should sort of accept that this was a semi-private video that went a little bit too far. And you can easily understand how that happens. It seemed good. Let's put it out on the convention floor. It'll be a hit, right? And let's do that. So that's one. It doesn't entirely erase the judgment lapse that resulted in this. He shouldn't have done it in speaker rope, shouldn't have done it in the speaker's office, you know? For sure, but you can kind of understand how it happened. Doesn't mean you need to accept it. The second is, I really don't like that we would churn through speakers at such a rate. Mm. And let's be clear, it's not like the conservatives were particularly in love with the speaker from day one, right? And somewhat tied to this, let's call it 2A, 2B, like he's Canada's first black speaker. You're going to get rid of him in like two months? Like, let's let's be clear about the signal that that sends to, you know, black youth who want to be speakers someday and all Mm -hmm. of that. And you can say to me, those things don't matter. Those things matter, Mm. right? And people see how people get treated. And I think you've just got to give them a bit of a shake. I would expect any speaker to be given a shake. I think particularly given the stakes of this, you got to give them a, give them a shot, like a fair shot here to be the speaker we need him to be. Zane, should he resign? No, God, no. Corey's made a lot of good points, including, yeah, I want to pick, bring up the fact that he's the first black man to hold this role. One of the, most important things of his apology was his apology to like youth and racialized youth in particular. Like he almost has this burden, which a lot of people Mm. of color, racialized people do to be like, I'm sorry. Like I'm the first one of us and I kind of fucked up and I'm really like, I would never see a white Mm. person make that apology to be totally. And I think it like explains a lot of the psyche of like racialized people where like, if they're the first to get there and even if they're not, they're one of the few to get there. It's like you are carrying so much more weight than you realize. You're actually like your own person, but you're also not. 
And I think one of the things we need to realize is when we hear phrases, and I'm not sure if I, I've talked to you guys about this, but like every time like the, the pep talk that we all of us get, right? And this is kind of a cliche is that like, you got to be 10% better because non-fireable offenses for you become mm-hmm. fireable offenses, right? Like, because regular scheduled program is only a heartbeat away, right? And by regular scheduled program, a white man generally in this case. So there's something incredibly important about that, that like the ambassadorial sort of role and like how what would not be a fireable offense for most can often be fireable offenses for a lot of racialized people or be thought into. Now, here's the game I think the conservatives are playing, which is the classic game of resignation. We were talking about the the resignation of of someone who's popular. When someone finds themselves in, in, in sort of uh, hot water. The resignation game that you want to play is you want them to ultimately not resign, but ask for their resignation so they are weakened. Usually want someone weakened to hang around. And so the conservatives here should be careful, and I hope they're playing that game, which is the game we have seen so many times, which is someone who should definitely not be fired. You ask to fire them so they seem weakened, so that if you ever need to go back to it, remember, like, remember this is that same speaker that we asked to resign and shouldn't even have a job in the first place, but you actually don't want them to leave. Let's just hope that's the game the conservatives are playing, because if they're playing the other game, which is the linear, let's kick this, shit can this guy, I think that's a terrible mistake for all the things that, that Corey's mentioned. Okay. Yeah, we'll put Zane. Well said, Zane. Let's leave it there, guys. That is a wrap on episode 1273 of The Strategist. My name is Annalise Klingbeil, and with you, as always, Zane Velji and Corey Hogan.